Good morning. I'm so glad you've chosen to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, Ozan Hill, it's good to see you. Good to have you gathered in front of the TV screen or your computer or phone or iPad or whatever means you are. I certainly look forward to the day that we can gather again in the building uh, and worship in sight of each other. Um, and speaking of that, the governor's announced the we're in phase one. There are limitations on gatherings, and uh, I want to assure you that we're working diligently as leadership. Met with Pastor Dave and, and our chairman of deacons, Jim Honey, and I met with the lead team this week, and also Jim was uh, communicating back and forth with deacons. And we're working out a plan to uh, implement the opportunity for us to gather <clears throat> in worship. Uh, probably will involve initially two worship services with limited attendance and social distancing within uh, within the building. We are considering uh, having one service outdoors. So pray, pray for dry weather when uh, when Sundays get here. Obviously, it's raining outside at my house this morning because this morning is not this morning. This morning is actually Thursday afternoon when I'm recording this. Uh, I look forward, I really look forward because I know you do and we're working diligently and anticipating a great time getting together. We're looking forward for July the 4th if the Lord wills and the numbers go down and do not rebound and go back up. We're looking forward to having some kind of outdoor uh, gathering, celebration, picnic, whatever. So some of you guys get your grills and and uh, whatever fired up in anticipation. Get everything ready for that in your mind and we'll begin planning that as soon as we can. Let's look this morning to God's Word. As we return and anticipate returning to corporate gathering for worship. Some questions that I think would be appropriate are, you know, what does worship mean? And what is, uh, what's real worship from the biblical standpoint? And so I want to call your attention to Psalm 138, one of David's Psalms. And I'm going to read verse 100, or Psalm 138. <clears throat> Hope you'll, get, you'll read with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. David says, I give thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. And when he says gods here, he's speaking primarily of uh, idol worship centers where people are gathering to worship idols, things that are not God. And that's a little g. He can also be speaking of the demonic entities, the spiritual beings that are often associated with idols and behind the scenes. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For all your promises are backed by the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me and you encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. 
Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways. For the great, or for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble. The picture here is of the greatest in the universe, but yet being great enough to bend over and draw near to broken people, humble people, hurting people, lonely people. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble. He keeps His distance, though, from the proud. Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out His plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon me, for you have made me. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your servant David and the way that you worked in his life to give us uh, these words of truth and encouragement. And I pray that as we look into this word, O oh God, you will fill our hearts with contemplation of your worth, your value, of your goodness, that you'll fill our lips with praise and fill our lips with singing and joyfulness at the greatness of our God. Teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but uh, it's been an interesting week at my home. Most of you know that uh, our grandson is at St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis battling uh, leukemia, and we're very grateful for your, your kindness, your prayers, your attention and thoughts. Uh, we're very grateful for the uh, many of you who gave, who came with others and gave blood uh, at the blood drive at Spoga Fitness Center this week. Uh, and so Debbie and I made a, a long trip. It was a short trip, really, five hours up, five hours there, and five hours back. 15-hour day on Monday to be with our grandson in his time. And then we got back home, and uh, we've had an interesting week. We've had snakes uh, on our porch. Not once, not twice, but three times this week. A total of four snakes, and if you put them all together end to end, they'd be about 20 feet long. So we've had an interesting time, but I'm happy to report that I was able to fulfill biblical prophecy on the head of each snake. We serve the God who delivers us, and the God who is worthy of praise. David, in his troubles, Pause to give thanks. And he said, Oh God, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. As we're gathering in our minds and thinking about the time we will come back together, the question is, what, what is real worship? What is worship? Worship is so much more than just being gathered in a building. Worship is so much more than seeing your friends or it's so much more than having a, a, a feeling of, not, of warmth and closeness. Worship involves the core of our being. Worship is giving to God our very selves from the innermost place of our being. And so I want to share some thoughts with you out of the 138th Psalm today about real worship. And so we'll start with number one. Real worship is wholehearted. David said, Lord, I will, I will thank you, I will praise you, I will sing your praises with my whole heart. Regardless of the setting, 
whether privately, whether in the home, whether in public, whether in a corporate setting, regardless of the setting, worship that is real must be wholehearted. We've used the word half-hearted at many things. We, nobody wants to go to a football game and watch your team play half-heartedly when the other team plays wholeheartedly. It usually doesn't turn out very well for your team. Words like authentic, sincere, and passionate should always be associated with worship. Worship from the heart. Wholehearted worship. I know that worship involves our mental facilities, but worship also involves our will. Worship involves a, a decision in the inner core of a person, no matter what has happened, that no matter what else anyone else does, I will worship my God from the innermost place of my being. I will worship Him. Worship involves emotions. It involves the whole person. Words like half-hearted, perfunctory, Lifeless can never describe real worship. Old Testament worship usually involved the sacrifice of something in fire. I've heard it said that unless there was something that died and something that was burned, there was no worship. The sacrifice was seen as a representative of the person's life. The sacrifice was seen of a representative of oneself. And as it was given up to God, the sacrifice, the, the, the aroma uh, figuratively would go up before the Lord. And when he saw that you were worshiping him from the innermost core through giving of this which represented your life, he was pleased with the worship that was from the innermost part. An altar calls for something to be placed upon it and a fire lit to consume it. God doesn't want what you've got. God wants who you are. Jesus said that to his disciples in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. I'm going to read that passage, chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel. And um, I'm going to read verses 25 through 27. When Jesus was talking about the cost of being a disciple or being a Christ follower, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, now, I want you to notice this is contrary to what is uh, popular today. Uh, the, the, the deal today is to, to figure out how to lower the standards of Christianity often to the least common denominator with people who don't know Christ in order to attract them to something which is less than a wholehearted commitment to God. Just getting people in the building is not necessarily worship Jesus said to that crowd if you want to be my disciple you must hate every everyone else by comparison your father your mother your wife your children your brothers and sisters yes even your own life otherwise you cannot be my disciple Jesus didn't mean that we should have animosity or hatred toward other people he was expressing it in a, in a form of, uh, of speaking in that day and age of comparison. He was saying that, that our love for him must supersede, it must be greater than any love in our life, even our love for our own lives. Verse 27, he says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Real worship involves 
giving ourselves entirely to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us how that works out. Paul expressed to us what that looks like in just in everyday life. And so he says, and so, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul, Romans chapter 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, listen to what he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Real worship involves giving God your whole self. I, rem- I remember um, a child one time who, um, whom we were asking, can you hold up your fingers? And he held up a finger. And I said, no, all your fingers. And he held up a finger or two. And I said, well, what about the thumb? He put up his thumb. And I said, well, what about your other hand? He, and it took him a while before he got it. But all your fingers is all your fingers. And so what God wants is not just part of me. He wants all of me. And worship is when we bow before the Lord, when we sing our songs, if we are not giving to God through that the entirety of ourself, then we can't rightly be said to be worshiping Him. Worship is wholehearted. Secondly, today I want to talk about worship, and, and let's, let's look at it from this thought. Real worship is public as well as private. Real worship is corporate as well as personal. In verse 1, the psalmist says, I will give thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. And David in other places talks about lying awake on his bed, meditating upon the Lord. He talks about being outside and looking into the sky and trying to count the stars. And he talks about this intensely personal and this private moments of interacting with God. But he also talks about singing before the idols, before the gods. And so real worship is not just what we do in private, but it's also how that which we do in private affects and impacts what occupies our thoughts. And, uh, and so David, as he's riding or walking and he sees idols and his mind is drawn apparently to the greatness of Yahweh, of God, and he begins to break out in a song of praise of the superiority and the victory and the power of Almighty God. And he says, I'll sing your songs. I will sing of you before the gods. It's interesting to me that in uh, Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul says basically that God has made a display of us who are Christians. We're not saved by our own power. We're saved by his grace in order that in the coming ages he might display his glory and his greatness and his 
His wonderful majesty, His grace and mercy to all the heavenly, to all the spiritual beings throughout the ages to come. And so when we worship God, our worship is on display publicly, not just to human uh, beings, but it's on display throughout the universe to spiritual beings. And then Paul talks about bowing before the Lord, worshiping in the temple. The temple that in that day was there in Jerusalem, and he was recalling the time and looking forward and anticipating that time when he would gather corporately with his worshiping nation and worship the God through singing and songs and dancing and music and speaking and clapping and so all these things, uh, but primarily through bowing in God's presence. If we do not worship privately, our public worship is probably not worship. If we worship privately, we will instinctively almost, intuitively be led to sing God's praises and speak of His goodness publicly, even without going around and trying to keep a time schedule on ourselves, what is in our heart will flow out through our mouth in praise. And when we worship in the spiritual realm, Jesus said worship must be uh, in spirit and in truth. When we worship in the spiritual realm, we display God's goodness and His glory to all the universe, uh, to all the uh, universe and spiritual beings. Worship is public as well as private. Worship is corporate as well as personal. The third thing that I want to share with you about worship today is that worship involves the whole person. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I give thanks with my whole heart. He talks about singing and mentions his mouth. And uh, he says, I bow. And so the whole person is involved in worship. I'm always amazed, and I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody. I don't have any particular person in mind, but the Bible speaks of, you know, singing spiritual songs, making music in your hearts, and singing. Uh, if you read through the Psalms about worship, you'll find words that, in, 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 <clears throat> that indicate, excuse me, that indicate that worship is visible, it's vocal, it involves the whole, body, uh, the whole body. The Bible speaks of raising hands, of clapping hands, of bowed knees, of falling down and stretching out prostrate on the floor. It, the Bible speaks in Psalms of shouting, singing, speaking. The Bible speaks of all creation, praising God, of trees lifting their arms in praise of God. Some mornings when I wake up and I get out before the birds awake of the dog and uh, watch the sunrise there's usually there's one bird that will awaken the morning and he starts his joyful song and I sit and I listen and I remember some of the verses in scripture that talks about how all of creation sings of God's glory even the birds sing of God's glory worship involves the whole person Worship involves breaking bread, studying the scriptures, 
It involves our homes. It involves our families. It is a natural overflow of a person who is loved in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship involves the whole person. We look forward to gathering together. And uh, I do want to say to you that there are times and seasons for different aspects of that. But I want to challenge you as we gather together. If you've been restricted in your life to just one thought of worship, that worship has to be this and nothing else, ask God to help you to broaden your concept. Read the book of Psalms. Read the Psalms. Underline. Make notes of all that it says about worship. If you've never lifted your hand to God, do it at home in the privacy of your prayer. Lift your hand to God in surrender and in praise. And all, if you've never bowed and prostrated your knee and you're able to, do it while you're able to. The time will come when you may not be able to. Every knee is going to bow. We need some practice. Let's get the knee practice going because we're going to have to bow our knee to Christ one day. The fourth aspect of worship I want to bring to you and share with you out of this passage of Scripture comes out of verse 2. And, and this is that real worship, real worship proceeds out of our response to the character and the promises of God. Real worship proceeds out of our response to the character and the promises of God. When David is singing, he is, res, res, he is speaking of and responding to who God is and what God has done. And he says, I will bow before you in your holy temple as I worship. And I will praise your name for your unfailing love and promises. When he speaks of, I'm sorry, of your unfailing love and faithfulness. <clears throat> Here's that word kesed. You've heard me say many times. One of the most prominent words in all the Old Testament Hebrew word which means God's covenant-keeping love. God's covenant-keeping love, kessid, is translated loving-kindness, it's translated mercy. What it means is God has made a covenant with His people. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. And He has now made a covenant, a new covenant, through Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has made promises and commitments with His character that is bound up in the covenant. And God will always, He will always act toward His people in keeping with the covenant He has made. The covenant reflects His character. It reflects His loving kindness, His mercy, who He is. In verse uh, 2, the last sentence says, Your promises are always backed up by all the honor of your name. Makes me think of the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, hallowed is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The name of God is not just a word that was chosen without meaning. The name Yahweh, that God's personal name, the name that He revealed Himself to Moses by, the children of Israel, as I am, I am. 
I have been am, I am am, I will be am, I am who I am. And as he reveals who he is, then the people of Israel began to understand that God had mercy, that he had love. Unlike the demon gods, unlike the pagan religions, the Lord God was a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God seeking not to kill but to heal and to restore. God keeps His covenant. And real worship is always our response to God's revelation of Himself. His revelation of His honor. And when we think of it as New Testament Christians, we think of that covenant that was the new covenant. God said, I'll make a new covenant with the blood, literally, of His Son, the lifeblood of His Son. And through that covenant, He not only teaches us his laws he writes them on our minds and in our hearts through imparting to us the gift of the holy spirit the teacher the counselor the comforter the presence of god he gives to us into our own being so that we are never ever ever alone god's very presence is within us if you are a christ follower who's sincerely given your heart to christ i'm not talking about a half-hearted person i'm talking about a perfunctory person who's just doing outward service and coming to church going through the motions i'm talking about somebody who's sincerely on the level has come to a place where you have realized that you belong to god and that you need jesus to be your savior and by receiving christ and giving yourself to Him, you've committed yourself to become a follower of Jesus. When you do that, God writes His covenant in your heart, in your affections, in your mind. Oh, you won't be perfect, but you will have a presence of God that will lead and guide you. God will always honor His presence in your life, His covenant with you. The Bible speaks so much of the blood of Jesus. Listen, if God gave... He is one and only begotten, uniquely begotten Son of you to die for you because He loves you. He'll keep all His promises to you. You can depend on that. Real worship proceeds out of our response to the character and the promises of God. You know, all of us will go through dark periods in our life. All of us will be tested. Tried. All of us will have sickness and pain. And so I know that the path that Debbie and I are walking right now is not unique. I understand that. We're not strangers to pain or loss or grief or sorrow. But the road that we're traveling down now, were it not for the promises of God, were it not for the fact that I know that God's honor means He will always keep His promises. Man, I don't know what I would do. I would despair. I would have no hope. I would grieve and mourn. But because of the promises of God, even when my emotions are stirred deeply with despair, that despair has a bottom, an anchor, a peace that is deeper than pain. A quietness and a stillness that proceeds out of God's promises and out of His love for us. He's a covenant-keeping, promise-honoring God. 
worship proceeds out of that relationship to God based upon his promises, his, his character to us. The fifth point in all that I'm going to do today, I'll finish this message next Sunday, God willing. Uh, but my fifth point, my last point this morning is this. Real worship involves prayer. You know, the one of the greatest one of the greatest possible promises or opportunities for any person is that God has removed forever through His Son. He's removed the barrier between us and His ear. We have the name of Jesus if we are a follower of Christ. And we can pray about anything and everything. I remember the song I heard my grandmother sing. I learned it listening to her. And then I learned it in church. And it, it goes something like this. Forgive my poor singing, but I can't hardly quote it unless I sing it. That's how I learned it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Then it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what pain we often bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Worship involves prayer. David said, as soon as I pray, in verse 3, you answer me. You encourage me. You give me strength. What a privilege. What a privilege to talk to the God of the creator of the universe who personally wants to meet with you, who wants to encourage you, wants to strengthen you, wants to help you, wants to answer you. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. As we look forward to gathering as a corporate community, I think it's important to remember that whatever else worship may involve, it always involves prayer and prayerful communication to our Heavenly Father. One way to think about prayer is that prayer is breathing. And breathing is prayer. Because when we breathe, every moment of our life, every situation, every, every thought process can become an opportunity to take everything to God in prayer. Jesus said this, he said, ask and you'll receive. Knock and you'll, the door will be opened. Seek and you'll find. Everyone that asks receives. What was he saying? He's saying, God wants to interact with you. God wants to meet with you. God wants to hear your problems and your prayers and wants to meet you. James, the fourth chapter, he says, you have not because you ask not or you ask with the wrong motive. Psalms 40 says those who wait upon the Lord. How do we wait upon the Lord? We ask. Sometimes God says, no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says, let's talk about this and wait on it a while. Those who wait upon the Lord, who actively respond to God, 
through positioning themselves before him, waiting for his strength, waiting for his answers, those will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and will not faint. God strengthens us through prayer. But you know, all of those promises are true to anyone who will come to Christ. But the most important prayer you can ever pray is that prayer that the sinner who humbled himself and realized how his great need of God was, but how he had nothing to offer God, said to the Lord, with his eyes bowed, his head bowed, his eyes down, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you prayed that prayer? I don't mean flippantly. I'm not mean reciting something somebody read to you or spoke to you. I don't mean reciting back to me what I said. I'm talking about from the core of your being. Verbally allowed or spoken inwardly, but really communicated to God. Father, save me. Jesus, save me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I surrender myself to you. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely yield. Will you surrender? Will you call upon the Lord? Because all who call upon the Lord will be saved. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. I look forward to seeing you face to face. I may have a mask on. I may not have hair. But I look forward to seeing you. God bless you. See you soon.